you know, they don't have to wait for that big moment. They they can make they make some changes now, and uh, or they see COVID as that big moment. Um, and and because I I don't want people to go through what I went through. Like what I went through was it sucked. I spent the last 10 years teaching corporate America leadership and teamwork. Now, I've left my 9-to-5 job to help as many people as possible become leaders in their work and personal lives. Some say leaders are born, but I say they're built. This podcast is the beginning of my mission to create change on a massive scale. Join me and follow along as we explore leadership, teamwork, and growth together. My name is Brian Rollo, and this is Lead with impact. Hey there, and welcome to Lead with Impact. This is Brian, and I am excited to have you with me for the next episode of Lead with Impact. And today we are going to be talking about unfollowing your script. You know, we each have a script that we follow in life, and sometimes we're not even conscious of the script that we are following. And today's guest, Michael O'Brien, is a leadership coach who has a great message about becoming aware of your script and then becoming really proactive about making sure you are following the right script for you. And he does this because he has an incredible story about what changed things for him. So I can't wait to talk to Michael. In the meantime, if you have a chance, please go to your favorite podcast provider. Subscribe to the podcast if you like it. We have uh, many more great guests coming up, so I think you're going to be happy with the content that's coming your way. And please reach out to me, brian at brianrollo.com. Always happy to hear what you think about the episodes, answer questions, and maybe even take suggestions for future guests. So, we'd love to hear from you. That being said, let's move forward, let's look at our scripts, and let's talk with Michael O'Brien. Michael O'Brien, welcome to the Lead with Impact podcast. Thanks, Brian. I've been looking forward to this all morning, so I'm so I'm so pumped that we get to connect and talk about leadership. So, Let's get into it, I guess, right? I've been looking forward to it as well, and yes, let's dive right in. So how do you help people? Well, I like to say that I help people prevent bad moments from turning into a bad day or longer. And I think where we are in our society today with everything that's going on, we're having a bad moment. It's a great opportunity to gain more awareness so it doesn't spiral out of control, that we can shift and and then create something better from that. Well, I definitely want to talk to you about that because I think that's a tool all of us can use. But before we get there, I'd like to ask you about your journey. How did you become the Michael O'Brien who helps people overcome their bad moments? Well, so I had a pretty bad moment myself. I call it my last bad day. So I was at a company meeting. I, You know, I had a pretty much a like standard corporate life. I was a marketing director. We had two daughters at the time, married seven years at the time, and went, went out to New Mexico for a company meeting. And I, I've been an avid cyclist my whole life, and I brought my bike out. I would get some exercise. 
And on the fourth lap, this little loop I created on July 11, 2001, I came around the bend and an SUV, a Ford Explorer to be specific, uh, was coming right at me. It had crossed into my lane, Brian, and was going about 40 miles an hour based on what the police estimate uh, after the impact and hit me head on. And I remember everything about that morning, except for about seven to 10 minutes. I remember the sound of me hitting his grill into the windshield. I went the screech of his brakes. I still can hear the screech of his brakes pretty vividly. And I regained consciousness. I asked the question that only another cyclist can truly appreciate. I asked the EMTs, how's my bike? And they looked at me with a little bit of a puzzlement. And they were like, your bike's fine, which it wasn't. They just basically said, you got to focus on yourself. And right then and there, I knew my life was in balance. I, I didn't think this was how the story, the script that I was following was supposed to play out. I was like, this can't be happening to me. I have a meeting to go to. And I was, I thought, Brian, I was following the script that I was, you know, to the letter of the law, if you will. I thought I was doing a great job, went to college, got a gig found someone, married someone, was working my way up the corporate ladder. But when I was honest with myself, I was doing a lot of chasing happiness uh, before my accident. I thought I would be happy when, and I think there are a lot of people today that also feel that way. I'll be happy when I get promoted. I'll be happy when I buy that new car, that big house, or my kids go to the right school, all that jazz. And so my accident really became a major pause button. And when they put me on the medevac to take me to Albuquerque, the only trauma one center in the state, I told myself, if I live, and I knew that was in question, I would stop chasing happiness, that life would be different. Well, that is a compelling story. And I have to say, I went to your website and you have a picture of your bike after the accident there. And I can confirm that your bike was not fine. And uh, just looking at that, <laughs> looking at that accident scene makes me wonder how anybody would be fine after going through that. That must have been terrifying. It was. It was absolutely terrifying. It, it just, you know, obviously, it goes without saying. My world was turned upside down and shaken violently. And the doctors told my wife, they're like, "We're really not sure how he survived. Like, you know, had he been ten years older or not in shape, they told my wife certainly would have." died before he got to the hospital. I broke a whole bunch of everything. And one of the major injuries I had was the left femur. Both uh, both legs were broken in multiple places, but the left, left femur shattered. And when it did, it lacerated the femoral artery of my left leg. So when you see that photo on my website, it's the SUV, it's the bike, it's me. Um, that was, in essence, bleeding out in the middle of nowhere, New Mexico, where they put the resort that we were staying at. So by some miracle, call it Mother Nature, the universe, or God, it wasn't it wasn't my time. And I had the first surgery, took about 12 hours. I went to the ICU for four days and changed. But here's the thing that got really scary is that when I came out of the ICU, the doctor started telling me about my accident. The driver had a revoked license, shouldn't have been driving that day. I started to learn about the extent of my injuries. They painted a picture of dependency, of limitations. They're like, yeah, you're probably not going to ride again. You're probably going to walk with some complications. This is going to be a long road for you. Based on other people that have had similar horrifying accidents. And what happened then is I got really dark. Like the identity that I knew before my accident, 
like, you know, doing the whole script thing. Like, this is how you're supposed to do it. Even though I was stressed inside and I was just sort of packing the stress within me and trying to pretend I was all good. I was like, well, I knew that wasn't really all that good. And now, now they're painting this picture for me that was so uncertain. I was like, that anxiety. And this is what I think, to me, it's very similar to what we are feeling with COVID is that we know maybe how we were doing things in the past weren't working well enough, but it was what we we know. And now it's like, well, there's this great unknown. There's so much uncertainty. How long will this last? Who will, will we become? I went through all that, the worry, the fear, the anxiety, and I went dark. I got really angry. I got frustrated. I thought, this is so unfair. Like, why is this happening to me? And then a mentor shared with me like during a very low moment when I was just venting, he was like, you know, all your events, Michael, in your life are neutral until you label them. And I was like, what? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm pissed. He goes, no, no, nothing has meaning until you give it meaning. And I was like, huh? Again, I thought it was like this Jedi mind trick that he was doing because he used to do that to me as a mentor. And I sat with that and I realized, yeah, like all the events in our lives are neutral until we label them. We get to choose the label. And in that moment, I was labeling myself as the victim that this happened to me. And I realized, well, I have some choice. I could see this as happening for me. I can see myself as someone who could be resilient, that could be as corny as it sounds, the victor, not the victim. And I see this moment in time that we're dealing with, that we're all living with in 2020, is not happening to us, but for us, to help us gain some awareness on how we were living in the past and make a shift to live better going forward. And um, now like now, the work I do is trying to help people become more resilient, more aware, and lead with more impact with that greater awareness. And without having to go through, Brian, what I went through and getting hit by an SUV to get this big aha. Like I've gone through the pain and suffering for people, now I just want to be able to help people. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons why I survived the accident. It's such an exceptional story and viewpoint. And I really resonate with your description about following the script. And because, because you were following the script, doing all the things you thought you were supposed to do, and suddenly the script was interrupted. And I love your analogy to COVID because so many of us were following the script. It was an invisible script that we probably didn't even know we were following, but they said if you do A and B, you'll get to C. And all of a sudden, something changed that. So how do people, first of all, even recognize the script, I guess would be my question to you. And then how do they make sure that they are not stuck following a script that is not going to be helpful for them? Yeah, great, great question. Because it, it, like what I, I've labeled that day as my last bad day, and a lot of people will say, well, Wait, were you talking about unicorns and rainbows? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, the last bad day for me means it's the day you decide to write a different script. So in terms of overall awareness, I think COVID has given us a pause button to catch our breath, look around, reflect on, hey, how we, how were we living before? Like what was working in the past that we want to bring forward? And maybe what wasn't working well enough that we want to leave behind and create something better. Now, the initial phases of COVID during say March and April was the, the chaos phase. I, the analogy I've made with COVID, it's like a triathlon, not a marathon. It's, it's longer and it's gonna come in phases. So that first phase was all 
adrenaline and chaos. So that's not necessarily the best time to have awareness. As we transition now into the summer with a little bit more of that control phase going into the bike phase of the triathlon, if you will, now we can see, okay, what do we have control of? What do we want to bring forward? What do we want to leave behind? So it's it, it's taking stock. It's using this time to say, all right, let's look in the mirror. Let's see how have I been living, honestly. And this is the hard work. Um, and now once we get to that point, okay, well, what are the building blocks that we want to use? Maybe we want to honor different values going forward. Maybe we want to create a better vision. This is all. These are all great activities to do in this moment in time. Now we put that big aspiration going forward. Like, this is how I want my life to be. Now we have to start writing our new script day after day. That's, I believe that's how change happens. But I do think COVID has given us this beautiful ability to hit the pause button and be like, all right, let's take some stock in this. But we only get there if we believe this is happening for us, not happening to us. If we have a happening to us type of framework, then we just act as a victim. And we're never going to create the type of change or be able to lead with impact in the way that we want to. I agree 100%. But part of me is thinking people will hear this and they will buy in and they'll say, Michael, that sounds exactly right. I'm going to do that. I'm going to change today. And they start and then some new unexpected negative event comes and smacks them right in their face. And they have that bad moment and they just can't seem to overcome it. So it does turn into bad days. So even when people start on this journey, how can they be prepared to overcome those hurdles that are going to come their way? Yeah, so I have a little phrase called grabbing a PBR, which does not stand for Pabst Blue Ribbon. It's (laughs) more of a pause, breathe, and reflect. So we're going to have bad moments. I've had plenty of bad moments since my accident, my last bad day. So when those moments happen, I grab a PBR, pause, breathe, and reflect, and say, okay, let's take stock in this. So I can be more thoughtful about what I'm about to say or do next. I also lean on the people in my peloton. So a peloton is a group of cyclists in a bike race like the Tour de France. They need each other to go down the road together, even though they may be on different teams. So I look at our tribes, our our networks, if you will, in the business world as our peloton. And I want to make sure that I have the right people riding alongside of me. And so in our tough moments, these are these are times to lean on the people that we care most about. So they can help us maybe see what we don't see. Because sometimes when we have this bad moment, we get stuck. We don't see any options. Life looks pretty binary. Leaning in on the right mentor, maybe it's a coach, maybe it's a best friend, maybe it's a colleague at work any of those people could do to help us see something a little bit different. So, you know, we go in a different direction. Um, it's also too, I think, to important, important to realize. And I think this period of time with COVID is a great time period to do this. Understand all the other times that we fell down where we got stuck, we skinned our knee, we fell off our bike, if you will, but we got back up again and we're a little bit wiser and we go in a different direction. If we're here listening to this today, our conversation today, we've all had those moments in our lives, in our careers. And it's important, I think, to go back to those to say, you know what? I have been here before. This one's a little bit different, but I know I've gone through some tough stuff. I know I can get back up again. And so you go through a 
slow it down to be more mindful, have more awareness. You connect with the people that you need to connect with. And then you remember that you actually have more strength within you than you realize to rebound from this. We all do. We're, we're pretty resilient people. Um, and for me, resilience isn't just about falling, you know, falling down seven, get ba- getting back up eight. It's when you get back up eight, the eighth time, you are a little bit wiser. So you go in a slightly different direction. So those are like three things I would start off with because we're going to have these moments and getting all jacked up by them. Most of the ones that we get jacked up on that bad commute, you know, or that bad meeting that seems to hijack our whole weekend, like spending calories on that, spending our energy on that doesn't help improve the situation. So this is why we need to slow down, be more thoughtful, let that go. So then we can get back onto the things that really bring out our goodness. Why do we tend to talk to ourselves in such a negative way? Why do we let those bad experiences sort of set our course if we're not intentional about it? Well, the ego sort of comes in into play with this. We tend to be our own worst boss. You know, the things that we tell ourselves secretively or in private, like the worst boss, you know, there's been some bad bosses. I'm sure you've worked with some bad bosses. I have. They've never been as cruel to me as sometimes I have been to myself. And I think it's a it's an ego thing. It's a little bit of a protective mechanism too. like a um, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a pep talk in disguise. But we we tend to do it a lot. We tend to make up stories in our head. We tend to look at things through a filter of our our own self as opposed to the greater we that feeds our addiction to being right. And that whole alchemy is doesn't allow us to show up for the people we need to show up for in the best way. And to have the conversations that we need to have, you know, the thing is to lead with greater impact to make a difference in the world that only happens through better conversations. We all know about emotional intelligence, but there's a thing called conversational intelligence. We have to get better with the conversations that we're having with each other, have a two-way dialogue. And and part of that is also having a better conversation with ourselves that looks, you know, through the lens of like a self-compassionate view of ourselves. I think a lot of the judgment that we see in today's society, the pointing the finger at everyone else and everyone else's limitation is really comes from a place of we don't have enough self-compassion for ourselves. So we don't think enough of ourselves, so we need to like take people down a notch for us to elevate. When we can see that we're perfectly imperfect when we look in the mirror, that we are a work in progress, to use that cliche, that we're gonna get a little bit better tomorrow than we are today, then we can stand with confidence, not arrogance, and we can judge others less. So if we're having less of that dialogue in our head, we can have a better conversation with others and bring about the change that we really wanna see. I'd like to pick up on that thread a little bit later, but I want to revisit what we were talking about with you and your accident because I think the audience would like to know, and I'd like to know what happened next. I think when we left off, you were sort of have been told what happened to you and what your prognosis was, but how do we get from there to you doing what you do now? Yeah, so the after the mentor told me, hey, nothing has meaning until you give it meaning, Michael, I sat with that for a bit, and then I knew this. I knew I had to get my mind right, Brian, in order to get my body right. So I didn't know anything about 
mindfulness at the time or meditation I actually thought, well, what I did know about it, I thought all the crunchy granola people did it. I was like, well, that's <laughs> what people in California do. I'm not going to do that. But then I realized that the mind and body have such a powerful connection and we forget that a lot in business. So I started a practice each morning. I roll out of, you know, roll out of my bed into my wheelchair, got to myself, got myself to a quiet place in the hospital and it was just quiet. I set my intentions for the day, how I wanted to show up and going through that mindfulness practice. It, it helped me show up for my rehab better. And all of a sudden, as my mind got quiet, my body got better and I got out of the hospital. But my journey still wasn't done then. I was back on my feet, but it was tough to walk and I wasn't back on my bike yet. I eventually got back on the bike 13 months after my accident because my physical therapist gave me an ultimatum that I couldn't come back to outpatient rehab until I at least tried. And I'm glad I did. She helped me see something from a different perspective. And when I came back to like good enough health, I went back to my job, but I decided, because a lot of people ask, well, you know, did you just like quit your corporate life then and just start doing a, being a coach? And I was like, no, you know, I went through a lot. Like, what do you do when you almost die? Do you like sell everything and go uh, trekking in Nepal and the Himalayas? Do you quit everything from a for-profit world to work at a nonprofit? You know, do you just take everything out and you just travel? And all those things didn't seem like the responsible thing to do to honor the values I wanted to honor. But I went back to work and I went back to work with a different script. I wanted to be more aware. I wanted to be more thoughtful. I wanted to have better connections. I learned how to manage my stress better so I didn't get so hijacked. So I wasn't also repressing my stress when I came home. I learned how to manage my energy better so I would have the energy for my wife and my girls. I did all that. And I do think it's the reason why I got to the executive suite at such an early age. I don't think without the lessons learned from my accident, I get there. And so I spent the next 13 years doing different jobs in my corporate life, a job that I believed I believed in. I believed we were making a difference. But I always knew this, that one day I would get into this line of work, helping leaders lead better, helping people become more resilient. It was only really a matter of time, not when. And our company went through a big change. My boss got pushed out. I got a new boss. That new boss, great guy, but I wasn't his cup of tea and he wasn't mine. And there I knew the universe was saying, hey, Michael, you know what? 13 years of watering these seeds, fertilizing and all that jazz, it's time to do the work that you're meant to do. It's time to do the work that you know, it was a reason behind your survival of that accident. So that's when I decided to leave and start my own business and speak about this and do executive coaching to help leaders do it with, you know, again, helping them avoid their SUV so they can start writing a new script. So the moment they have more awareness, they can have their last bad day moment and start writing a different script on what it means to be a better leader today. I sometimes think that people just are so stuck in those moments that you talked about that they're almost waiting for an SUV to come. Maybe not a literal SUV, but we wait and wait for that one event that is going to help us change. And for some people that may never come. It sounds like sort of you had two SUVs. You had the literal one, and then you had the one where you change of leadership at your work that made you sort of refocus. 
And I just think it's interesting that sometimes people are just waiting for that moment to come, probably subconsciously. And it would be so much better if they acted before that came, because sometimes it never does. Sometimes it never does, or it just, you know, you, you're, you're so busy on your hamster wheel grinding it out, you miss the signs. You know, I do think this, like I was so busy grinding it out on my hamster wheel, the whole hustle and grind, as the kids like to say today, that I missed a lot of the signs. And I think they call it the universe gave me a sign they were like hey michael we keep on trying to help you out here we're giving you hints that the way you're doing it ain't working so we're going to give you something you can't avoid and again going back to the COVID analogy i think COVID is that moment to say hey this is our this is our suv if we choose to look at it that way to say now's the time to write a different script this is happening for us because so many people you, know, you go through you know, people go through a breakup in their marriage or a different type of health care, like a cancer diagnosis, or they lose their job because they've been holding on to that script for so long. And now they get to an age where they don't know how to pivot. They don't know how to shift. And, you know, for me, yeah, I've had a couple of different ahas or different shifts or last bad day SUV type of moments. And I look at them like, all right, this is this is popping into my life for a reason. Why is that? And I think, again, Brian, I think this moment in time is such a perfect moment to say, okay, I can gain more awareness in this moment. When we go back to work as we will once again know it, right? Like hopefully we ain't going to go back, right? Because you can't go back. You're only going to go forward. That we go back with more awareness, with more connection so we can make more of an impact because – as a nation, as a planet, our to-do list is pretty long. So what got us to this point in time? Let's just say it's been pretty successful, hasn't been perfect. But what gets us to that next level is going to be different. We're going to need different skills in order to get there. And I'm hoping that enough people are thoughtful enough about that, that we don't go back to the hurry-scurry hamster wheel grind that we were having or we were on before all this went down. Here's the danger, Michael, that I worry about. The script is safe. Even though COVID-19 should be a big revelation, to your point, that the script is not necessarily helpful. So many of us follow that script that we didn't write, edit, or even approve, but we follow it. And, (laughs) And COVID wasn't in that script, but here it is. But still, I think it can be so psychologically tempting and comfortable to just say, all right, that was our interruption. That was, that was, you know, that was our break. Now we're back to the script. So I, I agree with you 100%. Hope that people, you know, really think about it as much as you obviously have to realize that this is a time for change. It is. And to your point, Brian, the script is comfortable. Like we latch onto it. It's like, it's what we know. And even, and we do that, even though intellectually we know that like, things are always changing that if we don't change our script, that eventually we become less relevant and we, we see it happening. Like what we're going to have to face and deal with and get uncomfortable with because writing a new script is uncomfortable. So we have some economic pressures. We have the health pressures. We have the inequity inequality of today that we're now sitting in and being uncomfortable with. All that takes action. So we've been taking all these steps, you know, back living the script the way we know it. We've sort of been doing it unconsciously. We just do it. 
were blindly following the script and probably doing a pretty good job based on how it was written. So now is our opportunity to say, okay, we got it. We have to get uncomfortable. The early days of like writing my new script was a little wonky. It was choppy. I didn't have all the answers, but I knew enough that I was going to be as intentional as I could today to make a difference for myself. Yes. And, but I also know this, that if I showed up differently, then my connections, the people I interact with, there's a, there's a ripple effect. There's a cascade. And so that was uncomfortable in, in a lot of ways, but over time it gets a little bit more comfortable, um, but not totally comfortable. I think that's where great leaders come into play where they, they, they feel very comfortable being uncomfortable as the, as the saying goes that they're always looking to get a little bit better tomorrow than they are today. They're, they're not coasting. They're not resting on their laurels. And I think in the past before COVID, I know in the past before my accident, I was coasting. I was ambitious, but I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll just do the script. And then the world changes and the world's changed. And so we need to get a little bit more uncomfortable in order to step into this new world and create the type of change that we really want to create. And to sum it up, if somebody's listening right now and they say, Michael and Brian, you have motivated me. I'm ready to make a change. What would be the first step? What would you encourage them to do? Would it be the PBR technique? Well, I would definitely like slow it down. I would say slow it down. I would, I, I would talk to them about, okay, what values do you want to honor going forward? Know your five core values. Set a vision for, hey, where do you want to be at the end of the year or maybe this time next year? Get really smart about who is in your peloton. Who are you riding with? Because that, I think the great Jim Rohn said, like we are the collective energy of the five people we spend the most time with. So the concept of having your own personal board of directors, your own Peloton. So I would get clear on your vision, your values, and your Peloton to start. And then I would um, start working on like steps each day. So for me, the morning routine is so key. So I wake up each morning, get a glass of water, brain, brain and body need some hydration. But I spend just a few minutes each day to say, all right, Michael, how do you wish to be today? What do you wish to do? And what do you wish to have more of? And that frames out my day and it sets the intention. So if we can be more intentional about how we're living, how we're leading, then we can start bringing forth uh, more of this more of this change that I think we all desire. I'd like to ask you as we start to get towards the end of our time together. I would like to just ask you about cycling because obviously I could tell cycling has been an important part of your life. I'd love to sort of maybe get a quick summary as to how it became so important, why it's important and its importance to you going forward. Well, one of my values is freedom. And I still remember, Brian, that very first day I rode my bike without training wheels. I I was the last kid on my block to come off of my training wheels. And I thought I was such a big kid at that moment. I was like, I can go anywhere on my bike. Like as a kid, as a kid, your first like experience, it maybe not so much anymore. I think not many kids ride their bikes anymore, but they should. But like growing up, it was like, you rode your bike. You were like a big kid now and you could go anywhere. It was your moment of independence. You didn't need your parents to drive you somewhere. I was like, I can go anywhere. Now my anywhere back then 
as a five-year-old or whatever. I was like a mile away. It wasn't like <laughs> going across the world, right? I didn't have a passport back then. But I thought I could go anywhere. I could discover. I could be curious. And that notion has stayed with me my whole life. You know, as I got older and a lot of kids like, you know, don't use their bike anymore when they get their driver's license. And I got my license, but I still love my bike. And then I got into bike racing and I was like, I love that competitive spirit. But I just I love the sense of adventure. I love the sense of freedom. Like you you can see the world so much differently when you slow down compared to like say driving a car on the same road when you ride on a bike i see things on a bike that the motorist passing me doesn't see because i have a completely different perspective and i just love that and uh you know for me it's my chance i used to back in my corporate days i used to ride my bike to work and for me it was a chance to sort of clear my head before i showed up to for my team for my company it was also a chance to clear my head before I walked into the front door to greet my family again in the evening. So for me, the bike is part freedom, part adventure, part discovery, part stress management tool. And it's all, yeah, it's always been a part of my life and I hope it will continue to be a part of my life going forward. I would like to ask you, what's your impact statement? So your impact statement is basically a one-sentence message to the world. If you had to sum up everything you're about and put it, put it into a sentence, what would it be? That you are more resilient than you believe you are. And why is that so important to you? I think, you know, life is complex. It's complicated. When you try to do big things, when you try to write a new script, you're going to have moments, you're going to have chapters where it's not going to go so well. And for me, I think that's just a natural part of life that you're going to sort of fall off your bike. The, the question is, okay, when you do, what happens next? Do you stay down or do you, you get back up? And I think for me, it's a um, sort of the thinking of, um, it goes back to a quote that my Little League teacher once gave, gave us. It's one of my favorite quotes. He said, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And so we fall down, but we're tough. We can get back going, get back up and get going again and, and have that belief within us, that self narrative that we often talk about to say, okay, we're strong. We're tough. This may be a tough situation and it is a tough situation. What our world is going through, what our country is going through, but I believe that we are tougher. We have fallen down, but we can get back up again. We are more resilient than we ever think we are. And we can create something better out of all this. I truly believe it. I'm optimistic. Some people say that sometimes I'm too optimistic. I try to stay away from the rainbows and unicorns. I try to be real. And I think I bring a, a sense of reality to my practice. But I remain optimistic that this is happening for us, that this is a moment in time to write a new script. It's powerful. Thank you. How can people find you online, Michael? The best way is michaelobrienshift.com. That's a great way. And one thing I wanted to share, Brian, so on the 19th, sorry, on the J July 11th, I celebrate 19 years since my accident. And I'm going to do something a little crazy on July 11th. I'm going to ride my bike inside for 19 hours for 19 charities supporting others today because I'm only here because others supported me during my crisis. And these 19 charities, domestic and global, run the gamut. They're supporting others during this crisis. And so I'm doing that on July 11th. So 
I'll get, I'll give you the link and maybe you can show, uh, put that in the show notes if people want to, you know, click on it and spread the good word or contribute or join me on the ride. Cause it's going to be a virtual charity ride since we can't come together. So people can uh, join me online and we can ride together and put out some good mojo and celebrate life and give back to others who are giving to others today. That is amazing. So July 11th, 2020 is the date that you'll be doing this. Yep, 19 hours downstairs in my bike cave from 12.19 a.m. to 7.19 p.m., which in military time, and I'm not a military veteran, but 7.19 is 19.19 in military time. So Mm -hmm. 19 hours for 19 charities. We have a pretty big goal of raising $1.9 million to just play further off the theme of 19. But I was like 19 years since the accident, COVID-19, I was like, 19's popping up for me, so let's do something crazy. Certainly is crazy, but I think what's crazier is just the things that we tolerate that are not working well enough in this country, in this planet, on this planet. So um, after 19 hours, I know I'll be done. But for all these 19 charities, the fight continues well beyond the 19 hours, and I want to try to do whatever I can to give back to them so they can help others. Well, that is a special event, and we will make sure to put that in the show notes and uh, give people plenty of time so they can go out and check this out. So what does the future hold for you, Michael? Well, a lot of sore muscles the day after (laughs) July 11th. But, you know, for for me beyond this, I think I want to just try to continue to help people rebound from those tough events and, and write a new script. I think the call is there for leaders to lose the old script as comfortable as it is, as we've talked about, Brian, to write a new one, to lead in a different way. And wherever I can help leaders do that, because I know, and this is something I truly believe in, when we change how we work together, we will change how we live together. Because work is such a big part of all of our lives. We have you know, the economy that drives a lot of our behavior. If we can lead better, we can change how we live together and we need to change how we live together. So I am going to be doing all that I can in that, in that vein to help make an impact in the world. And I'm hoping that other people will join me and collectively we sort of harness the power of strength, strength in numbers to make the type of change that I know I would like to see in this world. Well, that is a beautiful way to sum it up. Thank you for doing all that you do. And thank you for taking the time to, talk to me and our audience today. It has been a great conversation and thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Brian, for having me on. And I hope your listeners got a pearl or two out of our conversation. So thanks again, brother.